listeners, welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 77. Chatham Report, episode 77, day number 221 of quarantine. I Google that number every episode. The first couple times I was adding 14 to the previous number, but it started to get off a little bit. So I Google every two weeks how many days since March 9th. And uh, the best thing is Google's auto-suggest is whenever you type how many days since, it auto-suggests it's March. Because everybody is wondering how long they have been doing this. And I am sympathetic to those people. It's been a long time. How are you doing? How are you holding up? You, uh... Are you holding up in quarantine? Are you still quarantining? Are you are you loosening your restrictions? Do you live in New Zealand? Oh my god, I'm so jealous if you live in New Zealand. That seems amazing. We don't live in New Zealand. Things are okay here. Uh, a lot of sad stuff been going on, though. I've been, you know, working on the Andy Shea book. Uh, my friend that passed away a while back. Making a book of his old journals. Uh, it's almost done. I just got the final copy edits back from my friend Lisa Carver, and uh, I will be finishing up the copy edits tomorrow. <laughs> Should have done them this week, but I was too depressed and not depressed. I'm not depressed. Uh, uh, just unmotivated to do it, and uh, so I couldn't get around to that. But uh, my friend Christine, Andy's ex-girlfriend Christine, a good friend of ours, have known Christine for. Will be 30 years in a month or two, actually. God, that's crazy. Uh, anyway, she did a cover for the book. Uh, our friend Heather did a painting for the cover, and uh, Og did a bunch of commentary and the foreword for it. So, you know, real team effort. And I got to bring it over the finish line this week. So, you know, that's been bringing me down a little bit. Um, I don't know if I told, I've mentioned this on Facebook. I don't know when you read my Facebook posts, but, uh, I, I had this weird situation with an old friend of mine. Uh, one of my best friends when I was a kid and his name was Kevin. And, uh, so I, I have like, uh, he was, you know, I have this vivid memory from when I was a child where we were playing at the Bentley mall on the video game machines, asteroids, I think. And, uh, it must've been something a little newer than asteroids, but, you know, maybe Miss Pac-Man or something. And you know, I was like, ah, oh, come over this weekend. He's like, I can't. I got to go to my with my dad up to his campsite. I was like, oh, okay. And then later that next week, I learned that he had been killed by a bear, right? So uh, that was very sad and very traumatizing. It's a story I often use when people are like, oh, do they have bears up there? I'm like, yeah, one of my best friends is killed by a bear. You mother-. Anyway, um, so I'm on the Slack with some friends and they posted, you know, they're talking about bear attacks and they're like, this is, you know, it's actually pretty rare. Here's a Wikipedia article of every bear attack in North America. This is like in, in the evening, like a week ago, maybe two now, maybe even right around the time of the last podcast. And so I looked at it and I was like scrolling through and I don't remember exactly what age I was. And it's just kind of this vague childhood memory. Right. And. So, uh, I, you know, Kevin wasn't on the list and I was like, I told him, I was like, I don't know if this is fully, uh, up to date or, you know, comprehensive because I have a vivid memory of a friend dying of a bear attack when I was a kid, but uh, it's not on here. I will do some more research. So, you know, I decided to do some more research on that, but it was really hard. I didn't know exactly what year it was. We were in Fairbanks, Alaska, but I didn't know if the bear attack took place in Fairbanks, Alaska. These bear attacks were sorted by type of bear. I didn't know what type of bear. I assumed a grizzly. We, you know, we do have black bears, but they didn't even have a grizzly category. They just had this brown bear category. And so, you know, it was confusing. I was on my phone. But anyway, I was talking to my mom the next day or two later. And it's like, hey, didn't I have a friend when I was a kid that like uh, died of a bear attack? She's like, yeah, yes, Kevin, he died of a bear attack. He was your Cub Scouts friend. And uh, I was friends with his mom and his last name was blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, it was really awful because his dad, like, sent him up to the campsite and he was by himself at this campsite to be made a man of. And uh, his mom never really 
forgave dad about it. And apparently they got a divorce. It's all this. My mom knew a lot more because she was friends with the, the guy, the kid's mom, which is, I guess how we were friends. And, uh, so, you know, she did remember and she confirmed my memory and there's a little confusion about last names because they got a divorce and they made names. And that's why I had trouble with the name. And, but, uh, you know, then she's like, no, you know, dad's last name was this. That's what he went by. And then I look, I Googled it. And if you just Google it and bear attack, his name, bear attack, there it shows up article from the AP article from UPI. I'm like, okay, this is amazing. I wasn't imagining it. Because when you're a kid, you know, you imagine things or you, you don't remember them right or anything like that. But I clearly remembered it right. So then I told this whole story on Facebook. <laughs> My Facebook's locked. So, you know, it's only to friends only. So some of you may be on it. Some of you may not. That becomes relevant later in the story. And so then a high school friend of mine, uh, you know, I was just like, I told the story and I was like, uh, you know, I'm thinking of you, Kevin. I miss you. You're a good kid. And, uh. You know, it's more of a story about childhood memory and the, and the fog of memory. And it's something I've been, you know, so since I've had a kid, I've, I talked to my mom about this stuff a lot more lately. Like, what was I like with this? And do I remember this correctly? And it's like a mental sort of process obsession I've had over the last, definitely through quarantine, but even really since Jane was born, to clarify these things from my memory, you know. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I did that with this and I feel good. My memory was actually accurate. But then this friend from high school who I did not know knew him, but you know, we, he and I didn't go to the same school. There's like three schools in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, well, it's like three junior highs and like 10 elementary schools. So, you know, maybe she went to school with him. She was a friend of mine in high school, a much closer friend in high school. And she was like, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but it turns out that's actually not what happened. And uh, the bear attack thing, even though it was in the newspaper, was not true. And it was his dad sort of covering up. But it, in fact, it looked like it was a suicide. And she sent me a follow-up article out of the newspaper archives. It was just a small little article. It wasn't on the front page. So clearly, I'd never seen this. And, you know, in a small town. And nobody was going to like, be shouting from the rooftops, hey, everybody, he didn't get killed by a bear. In fact, he killed himself. Hey! Like, so yeah, nobody knew. In fact, my mom apparently never found this out either. His, his mother moved away. So, like, we just both didn't know. I haven't actually told my mom yet, uh, but I think she knows because my aunt's on there. And a couple of days later, and this is why I mentioned my Facebook is locked. They were like, you you don't use real names. You, you know, is this locked? I'm like, it's locked. You know, like, so, you know, like I mentioned my mom was upset with his dad and blah, blah, blah. But I was like, it's all locked. Don't worry. You know, nobody can see it. And I didn't know when I was writing this that it was going to turn out to be this whole drama, right? Like, I was just writing about my friend that got killed by a bear. And I wasn't saying secrets because my high school friend, Kim, she had sent me an article from the newspaper. Like this was out there, right? I was just sort of stating these facts, but, uh, yeah, it made me really sad. And then it's a very peculiar feeling to be sad about someone that died like 35 years ago, you know, like, uh, but I was really sad about that last week. I was like, oh man, he was a good kid. And I was like, so young. We were young. I mean, I think we might've been 14, but you know, it was definitely before the onslaught of suicides and, um, so that made me really, really sad for like several days. <laughs> I mean, and you know, you know what it's like. I mean, I don't know if I assume all of you have had grief like this in your life. It's off and on. It ebbs and flows. It's not all the time. I'm not telling you I've been completely depressed for the last two weeks by any stretch of the imagination. Broadly speaking, I've been pretty well, but it was definitely very sad, you know? And then, uh, so last night I was telling the story to three friends of mine that we've had an ongoing several year group message about. And I thought they had told them one of them has said she reads my Facebook posts often, but not always one of them. And the other two aren't on really Facebook on all at all. And so I was like, Oh God, did I not mention that? And they're like, no. So I was telling them the story. And, you know, it's, it, as you just heard the story, it evolves, right? It's kind of crazy when you get the bear attack and this and that. And then, like, there's this twist with the... Oh, and then, of course, I went and told the the Slack group. I was like, uh, never mind. As far as I know, that uh, uh, bear attack wiki is comprehensive because this is why Kevin's not on it. Because it was not, in fact, a bear attack, right? Uh, anyway, so I'm telling them the story last night on... I'm in bed. I'm just about to go to sleep. I did not intend to get into this whole long story, but I was like, okay, now I got to tell me, you know, these are three of my best friends. Like we talk all the time and I hadn't mentioned it. And so I was telling them the whole story. And while I'm telling them the story, my wife who's downstairs and still awake texts me and we had both glanced at this local news story, but we, it didn't really process with us, right? It was this local news story about this woman that had left here from, she lived in Chapel Hill, which is in San Francisco now, and she was missing. But Emma just put two and two together because yesterday there was a vigil by her parents for her, and it turned out, in fact, that she was one of Jane's old babysitters, right? So she's been missing for two weeks. She, they, The family had lived in California, 
and they had moved here. And when they moved here, she posted in next door. She's like, she lived in the neighborhood next to us. And she's like, hi, I just moved to town. I'm, you know, I'm great with kids. I'm looking for odd jobs and babysitting. And we needed a babysitter. We had two. She was one of our two main ones. She wasn't the cool goth one. And she wasn't the awesome, like, nurse, pediatric, uh, NICU nurse one. It was just way overqualified and fantastic. And we miss her dearly. Uh, but we always needed another one because, like, they both had other things going on in their lives. They weren't always available. And so we're like, great, Sydney, this is amazing. Yes. And, you know, so we interviewed her and she was great. And she was like, she was sort of our, our third babysitter for Jane. And she was, you know, she was the only teenager of the batch. The other two were adults. And, uh, but she was really good. She was so good with Jane. And Jane really liked her. And it was just, you know, like Emma and her would sit around and talk about like prom dresses and you know, are you going to the prom? Who are you going with? Are you getting a dress? That's my most vivid memory. It was this really because she just wasn't in a rush to leave and she was super nice. And, you know, this is back when Jane screamed all the time and it was like hard to babysit her, but she never had a problem with her. Anyway, she graduated from high school and decided to go to UC Berkeley. So in August, she moved out back to San, to California, to San Francisco. And she's been missing since the end of September. So just a little over two weeks now, she was last seen by the Golden Gate Bridge. Ugh. And her parents like had just finally gone a little bit more public. There were news stories about it and stuff, but they had put out this plea video and they did this vigil yesterday. And I didn't learn about this until 10 o'clock last night. And I would have gone to that vigil. I mean, like, I would have brought Jane. Jane really liked her, and I would love to be. I mean, you know, there's a Facebook group, Help Find Sydney West. I tweeted about it today. She's, you know, officially still missing. Uh, and I will I will post on the group and tell her parents that, you know, we thought the world of her. But it's just really sad. And it just, I just learned about it last night. Yeah, man. Aside from my dad, it's hard to say that this year has been a year filled with any more traumas than usual. Andy Shea was definitely hard, a much closer friend than usual, but you know, people are always dying not to sound callous, but it just feels worse this year. And maybe that's the pandemic. Maybe that's the political situation, but it's hard, man. It's just like this slow drip, drip, drip of human sadness. And I just, I've, I've been, I've been pretty sad about Sydney for the last day now. So anyway, you guys aren't going to, it's Friday right now. I'm probably not going to post this till tomorrow. I might post it today. I don't usually do the podcast till tomorrow, but it's a three day weekend and it's raining out. So I couldn't do my gardening stuff that I wanted to do today. So I was like, oh, I'll get this done today. And I, maybe I should have thought that through a little bit better about endeavoring to do this right after learning some terrible news like that. But, uh, you know that's what's been going on. It's been pretty sad. We, we, uh, the kitties have been helping. Uh, Jane has been helping. Uh, we haven't got the official adoption approval on the two kitties from this foster batch that we're keeping, but we are assuming it's all going to be okay. And we've been sort of introducing them to the rest of the house. Um, you know, I don't know how we're going to sort of do that. They're in this room, all four kitties, two of them. I think that we, we, I think we have an adoptee for the other two lined up. And we may eventually do more adoptions, but now we got to start this whole thing with my mom because that's the room she's going to stay in when she shows up in January. If that's still happening, we all hope it is, but blah, blah, blah. Anyway, besides beyond that room, it's very hard to lock them in because right outside that room is the staircase and it's got railings and you'd have to fence the whole railings in because these kids, these kitties are fearless and then you could just jump. So we bring them down at night to hang out with us. And, you know, when you're up in the room feeding them, they're all very cuddly and purry and they want to sit on you and stuff because you just brought them food. But when they're down with us in the evening, even in the basement, it's very hard to like sort of, you know, they're, they're still chewing on cords <laughs> and they don't want to sit on your lap. But uh, it's still nice to have them around. They're a comfort. It's been really nice with them. And Jane's been really good. I'm going slightly out of order this week because it feels like better to talk about other living, breathing things before I talk about like my new phone. Um, but yeah, Jane's been really good. By the time we do the next podcast in two weeks, she will have turned three. Uh, you know, I said months ago that the fits were getting better and everybody was like, yeah, they don't get better until they're, and she's into her threes and they were right. She, there's still a lot of fits, but there's also noticeable improvement on the fits. Just today at lunch, uh, we got, I was upstairs already preparing my lunch, and Emma and Jane and Janet came up from the basement, and we all did the group hug that we do. She loves the group hug. She helps, you know, opens and closes the door for Janet, and she goes back to her house, and, and then uh, she just started bawling because Emma sat down brown bear somewhere and wasn't right or something. 
And I went over immediately. I picked her up and I was like, okay, you can use your words and tell me what's wrong or you can go into the bedroom. This sounds so simple and elementary, I realize, but it's, I've been doing that part. This isn't the new part. The new part is that she kind of processed it and realized that she was about to get timed out and she thought really hard and she figured out the words and she was like brown bear over there and i'm like okay now we're getting somewhere so you know we moved brown bear <laughs> which was the cause of this whole fit that brown bear wasn't set down in the right place but uh, but she kept it together and it was really like nice to see you know and then it happened that towards the end of dinner or lunch she had a cookie with lunch and then we were, when I were sitting there talking about Sydney and other stuff, and I look over and Jane has snuck away from us and climbed on the counter and she's in the cookie tray getting another cookie. I was like, no, you can't do that. And I pick her up and she just starts screaming. And I'm like, yeah, you don't get second cookies. Maybe a cookie after dinner, but after your nap. But if you keep crying, I guess I have to put you in a timeout. She stopped crying. I was like, how about a nice brown rice cracker? She's like, cracker. So uh, yes, I uh, rewarded her with a healthy brown rice cracker, but she had already pulled it together. And, uh, she said, please for the cookie earlier. She said, please to the cracker. It was all very nice. The crib stuff. So I believe last I left you, she had learned how to climb out of her crib and Emma and I had started doing alternating nights. So we are still doing alternating nights, but she, and she hasn't forgotten. She can climb out of her crib. The other day I got her for dinner after her nap and she was like, I want to stay here. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll be back. And I left. And then she climbed out and followed me. But at, in the evening now, she has stopped doing it, mainly because our plan has worked. We, we both stay in the room until she's convinced to climb into the crib herself and goes. To, and we tuck her in and she goes to sleep. She has to want to do it. And it's still pretty exhausting. Mine's going pretty well because I'm on this meticulous, ridiculous routine that's like 45 minutes long. involves like puppet shows and shit. It's just insane. But it works. And she goes, climbs into the bed. Emma's doing pretty well in hers, but... Jane doesn't want to climb into the bed with Emma. I like to think it's because my routine is more meticulous, but of course we both know it's because she likes Jane or Jane likes mommy better than daddy. So she just doesn't want mommy to leave, but, uh, it's getting better. And, uh, what we really realize is we both like the trading off days because when we did it together, it was dumb. Emma was doing most of the work. Everything I was doing was like just window dressing and neither one of us ever got a break. Now we each get a break every other day, which is awesome. Uh, you know, it's every, it's weird too. Cause it's like, a it's not, it's a six day alter. It's a two day alternating cycle. So every week it doesn't line up with weeks. Right. So I have my grocery day on Thursday. I get up at six 20. Now I have to get up at like eight 30, which is early for her to watch Jane because I'm still doing grocery shopping. So there's sometimes she does the evening shift and then she does the morning shift and it's like a little exhausting, but this, you know, this week it was the opposite. I had done the evening shift, so it worked out. So it introduces little wrinkles, but it also introduces little like pleasures. Like sometimes you get like, I got 20 hours without Jane. That was kind of awesome. Uh, it's nice. It's nice. You get to, yeah, she's doing well. She's conversational. Uh, it's good. I think she will understand it's her birthday this year. That'll be fun. And yeah, Jane's doing good. And then uh, gardening's going pretty well. I was going to spend all day today gardening, but the rain kind of messed that up. But I got the two compost bins set up. I got one compost made out of chicken wire and fence posts and cable ties and staple gun and a tarp and carabiners. And they're both three by three by three. And one is for like kitchen scraps and, and, and shredded paper and cardboard, you know, keeping the nitrogen carbon balance and worked it out with the neighbor next door. He can put like some of his chicken shit in there and like, you know, it'll be a hot compost pile where you maintain your carbon nitrogen balance and you, you stir it with the pitchfork. I got the pitchfork in there. I got a bunch of ash from when I burned the journals or misprints. I mentioned to you guys that whole thing. And then the other one is just leaf mold compost, which is awesome. All you do with leaf mold, leaf mold compost is you vacuum up leaves, you shred them, and you just throw them in there. And then you don't have to stir it. It's cold compost. They just turn into dirt. And, you know, we got two and a half acres. We got a ton of leaves. So we busted out the, uh, the, the leaf blower and we put it in reverse mode, put the bag on it. And last weekend I vacuumed up the yard because it is sort of just starting to be autumn and the leaves are starting to fall a little bit. And it was really a test run and, you know, getting along enough uh, extension cords, try the whole thing, make sure it all worked. And it worked great. And the bag shreds the leaves as you put into it. And uh, so that's working. Also, I can use leaves as carbon to offset kitchen nitrogen in the, the hot compost. So I've got a good compost going. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I feel very accomplished. That was last weekend. Uh, you know, but you got to every weekend, I'm going to water it and I got to stir the hot one. Uh, and I got this like compost shredder. And I. <laughs> 
watch all these compost videos and they're like, you know, the smaller everything's shredded, the better. So I, I, I did a bunch of like plants. Cause the other thing I'm going to be doing is all my plants from this year's growing season as I'm done with them, I'll, I'll trim them. And I've been trimming the tomatoes and because birds are attacking the tomato plants and the whole branches are falling off. Now it's bad. They're on their last legs. I still got a bunch of tomatoes on them, but it's, you know, it's coming to an end. So that worked great. I put it in the compost chipper and it chipped it all away. And it was like, awesome. And then I decided to try these buckets of kitchen compost that were just like wet and already half composted. And it was so disgusting and it did technically work, but it was bad. And <laughs> And the whole thing was like covered in like smelly goop and had to hose it down. And so that didn't work. I realized you got to like chop up your kitchen compost. This is pretty labor intensive. And it's like, not, it's like the kitchen scraps are going to be like 5% of my total compost material, but I'm going to make it work. So I got a whole bucket rotational system. And every weekend I'll like get the compost going. I keep bags of shredded paper for my paper shredder in my office and the ash. And I add them to it and I stir it up and, you know, it's, it's working and I feel pretty good about it. The goal is for next year to not buy any more dirt at all. Cause I bought too much dirt this year. I spent like $150 on potting soil for containers and it just like any illusion of returns on investment you have when you buy dirt is just gone right at least with the containers themselves you can pretend you're going to use them next year or something but you're just like buying dirt and it's like no that's not going to work uh, so you know uh, but it's going well. And so tomorrow will be the big gardening day. I'm going to do a vacuuming. Uh, I really realize also I got to wear my noise canceling headphones and listen to music during the vacuuming or maybe a podcast. I'm so bad about listening to podcasts in, in the quarantine this year, uh, but that'll be fun. It's kind of a Zen activity. It's good exercise. Be on the yard. Uh, it's not too hot anymore. It's fall. You know, it's only like seventies, low eighties. So it's, it, it's tolerable. And uh, I feel good about that. Well, I'm sad I couldn't do it today. And then, yeah. Then the other big gardening catastrophe was I was trimming the cucumber plant. I had tried BT oil on it because one of the leaves is being weird. BT oil is an organic natural pesticide, but apparently they didn't like it. And some of the leaves died. So I was cutting off the leaves and I accidentally cut one of the root, like main trunk branches of one of the four cucumber plants in this container. It has cucumbers on it. It's like five feet tall on the, on the trellis. And I killed it. Such a bummer. So today I have to like pick that one out of the other four because they're all interlaced and get the cucumbers off and try and tell her tomorrow. And then um, I got more dirt from the hardware store this week, <laughs> which sucks. I, I made a solemn vow. This is the last dirt I, last dirt I buy. But I've got like 10 you know, new pepper and, and basil plants that I'm going to be overwintering. So I need to get them in the like pots that are the right size for the winter and pots instead of grow bags. So I got to do that. And, uh, I got a couple more seed cutlings of mint and stuff that I'm trying to like redo the herb garden in smaller pots for the garage under the grow light instead of the big versions I have out in the, on the patio that are going to die over the winter. So that's, what's going on with the gardening. It's pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, let's see what else is going on. Got the new phone this morning. Uh, Apple, 13th time they've done a on sale for a phone and they still can't make it work perfectly well. I saw somebody say like PlayStation could learn from Apple about doing an on a pre-sale. And I'm like, I guess like, you know, they didn't run out of stock like the PlayStation five did, but it still took me an hour and a half of clicking and waiting to buy the thing, which is kind of a drag. But uh, I'm excited. I mean, you know, uh, I really like the mini, but I want the better camera. So I feel kind of bummed about that. So I got the pro. Smaller the two pros. We'll see. I'll keep you informed about that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else we got going on here? Oh, yeah. The studio. The new computer's all set up. <laughs> you know, it's the fall. It's Apple's big season, right? computer is awesome it's uh i did all the cabling i got it set on the on the the table i couldn't decide for a while if i wanted it on the desk or under the desk it's a mac pro so you know it's beautiful and it could go in either one um but the cabling was a lot harder to get under the desk and it didn't look as good but i got the wheels because i bought this through a friend that had the 25 percent apple discount so like i was like all right i'll get the wheels whatever they're basically free um, <laughs> but the wheels <laughs> the wheels that are four hundred dollars normally uh, don't have a lock. <laughs> so like it could just roll off the desk, you know, and I was like, all right, well, this doesn't really work. And it's like very attached with all the cables going into the back of it to the dock and the monitors and everything. So it wasn't really going to roll off the wall, but I had to spend like two hours on Amazon until I found these like sort of hard, clear rubber wheel cradles that I could put under the wheels. And actually it looks really awesome. Now it looks like kind of a sculpture. 
I'm pretty into it. Uh, the cables that look a lot better than they did with the old Mac Pro, iMac Pro, which is now Emma's computer. This is why I could afford this computer is like Emma needed a better new computer for work because her computer was like it was it was like three or four years old. It was the iMac 5K, but she works in these like five gig Photoshop files for her job for one of the major streaming services. Uh, so, you know, they just took like five minutes to process and open on her computer. So she tested them on my iMac pro and she's like, well, this works great. And I'm like, yeah, but this thing was like 10 grand and you don't want to spend 10 grand. She's like, no, but I will spend this much. And I'm like, okay. So I was like, you can have my computer, which is still the fastest combo computer they make 18 core iMac pro. You can have that for this much money, which is basically like half price. I will take that money. I'll put it towards my new computer. So I will get the Mac Pro for with that plus the discount for an actually tolerable price. So it worked out great. We both have new computers. Uh, I don't think also I wanted to get us both on the fastest computers before the transition to Apple Silicon. Now, if there's a new one more Apple event for the fall, it's happening next month and they're going to introduce rumor is the first max with max Silicon, but everybody thinks it's just going to be the uh, MacBook, not the MacBook pro, not the iMac, not the iMac pro, certainly not the Mac pro. So I wanted the fastest computers now because I don't think we're going to be buying a computer again, a desktop. We both use desktop machines. Emma's got a laptop. I don't even own a laptop anymore. I mean, I have a shitty old one that is the iMac ripping station, but I donated all my old laptops to uh, a prison reform, educate prisoners as they come back into society. I donated them like 10 laptops, both of mine and time hops. Uh, and also, this is a lie. I still own <laughs> a white and black clamshell iMac, iBook, iBook. Remember those? Uh, I own, or I own the white and the black plastic MacBooks. I own the clamshell iBook, and I own the 12-inch MacBook Pro. But those are like, you know, antiques. Those aren't like used computers. They're useful computers. I only have one laptop anymore. It's a very crappy, you know, bottom of the line five-year-old MacBook, and I use it to rip uh, records which is actually broken at the moment. And I got to fix that. And it's really frustrating. But anyway, now we have both the top of the line computers, top of the line, iMac pro and the top of the line Mac pro. And we can now weather the next two or three years of the transition to Apple Silicon. They both have the, uh, the T2 chip in them. They have the auxiliary chips in them. So they have all the like, you know, new features for payment and locking and Hey Siri and all that. So we're good. We should be able to, I don't think either one of us can buy a new, new computer until 2023 at least. Um, and that would depend. I mean, if she wants mine, this thing is going to last. It could last like five, six, seven years. It's so fast. It's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on here in Chapel Hill, Chatham County? We don't go out much. Oh, I made bagels. That was pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. My friend of mine is a baker. She's a professional baker, uh, lives out in Texas, West Texas. And she gave me like sort of her modified version of the Reinhardt recipe to make the most sort of like accurate New York style bagels. And I messed them up the first time because she said using vital wheat gluten was really important. And I couldn't find vital wheat gluten, but I found this Red Mill vital wheat gluten flour. So I thought it was bread flour with vital wheat gluten added, but it was in fact the same product as their Red Mill vital wheat gluten. They just, one is labeled with flour and one is not. So the first batch of bagels I made was like 50% vital wheat gluten flour. And I swear to God, it was like Satan. They were so dense. And I was like, are you sure this is right? And I showed her the label and then she did a bunch of research and she's like, oh, so at first she was like, yeah, it should be right. Vital wheat gluten flour is flour. And, you know, but then you know, she saw the photos of them and when I got them formed and she was like, yeah, this is totally not right. So I had to get rid of those. I salvaged one bagel and mixed it into a second batch just using bread flour and no vital wheat gluten. But that one bagel added a little bit of vital wheat gluten. So I made a second batch and those were great. Weirdly, that night was the episode of Great British Baking Show with Bread Week, and they baked bagels. So I, <laughs> my bagels are a two-day process. Theirs were two and a half hours. So, you know, uh, I had a little bit of an unfair advantage. But uh, so much of the episode was about proving. And my recipe did have two proofs in it, and I followed the instructions where I can prove one, it should reach twice the height, and then when you smash the bowl on the counter, it should collapse. And that's what mine did. And then you need, and you pass the window pane test, and mine did. And then they're like, in the proof two, you do it under a, a wet towel, and the way you know it's done is you drop one bagel into a bowl of water of room temperature, and then it floats. And I'm like, all that was true. But my bagels are flat. And uh, I think that means they were overproved. If I understood when Paul Hollywood talks about proving, he talks very fast and thinks you understand this stuff. 
Uh, I'm not really sure, but it turned out it didn't matter because they were delicious and perfect in every other way. They weren't like round bagels, but they were flat and like, but they were so New York style and we made 12 of them. And for the last few days, we've just been having New York style breakfast sandwiches and it's been fantastic. The first day I so saw I made bacon and I used American cheese and I got out a piece of wax paper. We didn't have like sandwich paper, which is a bummer, but I did the best I could. And I made the bagel toasted. I forgot to toast it too the first time, but I made the bagel, with the egg and the, and the American cheese and the bacon. I put sesame bagel. That's my thing. Although we also made poppy seed and everything and salt. And uh, I wrapped it in the paper. Then I sliced it in half. Then I wrapped it in a square of tin foil, just like they do at my bodega in Soho. And it was the best. And I was like, oh my God, this is like something I've missed so much. I haven't had one of these since February. And it was so rewarding. And then I've been eating them all week. So I have been on a diet and I've lost two pounds since I talked to you guys. I'm losing about a pound a week. It's going well. I've lost 17 pounds total, but it has definitely slowed a little bit when I've been eating a bacon, egg, and cheese on a bagel breakfast sandwich every day for the last five days. But it's over. And I told Emma, that was one of the most flattering things. It's very rare that I make some food or a baked good or something that my wife is like, oh my God, I want more of that. It does happen. Like she really likes my flourless chocolate cake. I need to make one of those again for her. Um, But you know, I make so much Asian food. She's not a huge Asian food fan. She likes it fine. She's just not like me and she doesn't like it spicy. So most of the stuff I make, I make because she doesn't want it. Uh, but so she, you know, she was eating these bagels too. And now she's bummed. And I was like, I'll make them again for you, but give me a couple weeks. And <laughs> you to like lose a little bit more weight, but yeah, they were fantastic. That was really good. I felt really good about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's everything that's going on in Chatham County in our lives, uh, with Jane. So I guess we'll turn on, move on to the projects and stuff. In the media, let's see, what do we got here? Uh, archiving stuff, so all the books um, came back from Shutterfly. Uh, it was about 30 books I had to order. It was retail, or like list price was about $1,000 of photo book printing. To recap, there is two photo books of my parents together, one from when they got married in 1967 to the 90s, and then one from the 90s to now. Uh, An entire photo book of their wedding, which I consider my crowning accomplishment because I have collected photos from both sides of the family, and Jack had sent me those slides, recall, they came back and all that. And he had like photos that my grandfather, my dad's dad had taken to the wedding, and I had all my mom's photos from the wedding and her dad's photos, and I combined them all, and I made a photo album of the wedding, which is just beautiful. Um, I think my mom listens to my podcast, so I'm ruining her Christmas present, but we've never been big for those things in, in our lives. And then I made one of her childhood and one of my dad's childhood. So, you know, I'll be sending them to Val, to Bonnie, to my mom, to me and to Jack, my, my mom's sister, my dad's brother. Oh, and to skip my dad's, my mom's brother. So I made five copies. Ooh, one, two, three, four. Yeah, that works. Yeah. And, uh, cause I had my copies as the test copy. So six total and yeah, that's all done. And I feel great about that. And it is very exciting. Um, on the Plex front, I only added three things this week. I haven't really been doing much of that. I added the wedding present live stream from their show recently. Thank you, Gareth, for sending that to me. Uh, and two, uh, movies, old movies featuring Emma. What's her name from the Avengers? Because my friend Aug has been looking for them all. So I've been getting them off of Netflix and ripping them and giving them to him the worst witch and a little night music. That's all I added this week. I got a lot of stuff downloading, but it's like, there's no seeds for it and some obscurities and some rarities. And, uh, Netflix has been very slow on the shipping. I'm on the two disc deal and I, I go a week without any disc right now because, and I'm pretty sure it's just because of the USPS thing. They are on the lowest, they're probably shipping these things media mail, honestly, and they take forever. And I, it's not a great deal, but it's only seven bucks a month and I am getting about five, six movies a month out of it. So it's probably worth it. But I used to have this thing. I used to have Netflix on the five or six display and back when they first started and you just got them within a day, you know, it was fast turnover. Now it's just super slow. So I don't know. Uh, I, the next two movies are going to be the RBG documentary and the, the, dramatization of her life uh on the basis of sex and rbg notorious rbg but you know it'll be another week or two before those are up so if you're a flex friend keep an eye out and if not uh well you know drop a line if you want to be uh walmart has been restocked with ultra high definition 4k blu-rays but they're all garbage one wasn't garbage was et so i bought the 20th 30th 30th anniversary edition of et it's really awesome 
But it turned out I already bought it and ripped it and sold it on eBay and totally forgot about it. So I did it again. And now I have another copy. And now I got to sell it on eBay. <laughs> but it was already up there. So ET 4K is up there. Some great documentaries if, if you're an ET fan. I uh, still haven't fixed the vinyl ripping station, like I said, and uh, I haven't been doing any four-track music stuff. I, I, like, I haven't given the opening topics of this uh, podcast, so you can understand. I've been a little down. I've been trying to stay productive, but uh, honestly, a couple days there, I finished my work and I just read books. <laughs> but you'll see that later in the podcast, I guess, that the books have uh, picked up. Turning to music, uh, I sold a bunch of stuff on Discogs this week. I just sold Bob Mould's workbook. Uh, I got an email problem and my Discogs orders aren't showing up in my inbox. It's a big pain. And also Discogs has, is messing with their shipping. This is a whole thing. I think I might bitch about it last week, but like your last episode, but yeah, they're just requiring everybody to like put shipping policies for everything in America and I are in the world one by one instead of just having them calculate it. And I did it for America. I was like, it's three fifty per disc, but it's not working. I don't know what's going on. And so every time I sell a CD right now, they're like, make me manually put the shipping in, which is the whole reason they're redoing this shipping policies. So it just sucks. So the orders come in and people are like waiting for me to type in a number and I'm not seeing them because something's broken with my email. It's just this confluence of misery. And I, so I have to manually keep an eye on it and I'm trying, but, uh, I, I, this one I didn't catch for two days. So this guy like seemed kind of pissed. I don't know. Today I just apologized profusely and put in the shipping. Hopefully it'll be okay. Uh, and then I sold across two orders, a bunch of spiritualized CDs to this guy. The first order came in and he ordered the electric, electric mainline EP, which is the first EP with uh, Layback in the sun. And it's great, great EP back in the heyday of early spiritualized. Just love it to death, but I have it on vinyl. And then you ordered the Layback in the Sun CD single and the Run I Want You CD single and the supplementary dosage, which is uh, like a promo disc that had like their X-Files song on it and stuff. I have these, all this stuff is now on uh, Complete Works Volume 1 and Volume 2. So, uh, you know, I, I, I still own every single on vinyl, but I've accepted I'm not going to own every spiritualized release. There's a couple of those CD only ones in the mid 90s. So I, I let it go. It hurt a little bit, but I let it go. And then he re-upped and ordered the dedicated uh, CD copy of Laser Guided Melodies I have that is the CD version, but it's four tracks, one track per side of the vinyl. It's it's like a rarity dedicated release, and he ordered that as well. So I sent those off. Somebody ordered Skinny Puppy's Last Rites. That's fine. Good riddance. I did listen to it again, and you know, I've disliked Skinny Puppy for quite some time now, but I listened to it, and I was like, okay, you know what? They're kind of growing on me again. Their innovativeness is starting to shine more and their cheesy vocalness is becoming more tolerable as the years go by. So I, I don't know if you've revisited skinny puppy anytime recently, but uh, yeah, it's not as bad as I remember. And then somebody else ordered two CDs, obviously a factory records collector, obviously perhaps doing what I did 10 years ago, which was set out to own every factory records release. It's a lot easier to do now with Discogs. Discogs wasn't around when I was doing it, but they ordered uh, To Hell with Burgundy is the name of the band on factory records and obscure factory records band with an EP called Who Wants to Change the World. Uh, it was very hard for me to get my hands on this. I had it shipped from England originally in 19 or yeah, uh, 2002 ish. I'm going to say maybe three. I was, I was in Cambridge. Yeah. Central square. So, uh, and then Palatine, the single, which is a single four track, single EP, various sampler on factory records that came out in conjunction with the four LP Palatine box set retrospective of factory records. I still have the, the box set a little sad about let the single go, but, uh, cause it, it's not on vinyl. But you know what? If somebody else is on the journey to own every factory records release, Godspeed. I can support that. Bunch of vinyl came in this week. Ooh, I got one second. Oh, that was so exciting. I hit pause on this. And when I hit pause, uh, GarageBand did the little like updating waveform thing. And I watched my uh, activity monitor with all my processors over on the right. All the processors fire up. And it's just like, Doop! and you're like, one second. It was beautiful. Beautiful. It's not often I get to see this machine using all of its processors. But when I do, it's a thing to behold. Anyway, a lot of vinyl came in this week, a lot of back orders, things I'd ordered a long time ago, some of that I forgot about completely, and uh, it's, been, it's been good. I ordered the new Nine Inch Nails release, ultimate vinyl release of the Quake soundtrack, the first uh, release, official release on vinyl of the Quake soundtrack, but what happened is they sent me the other new official soundtrack release that Trent Reznor released that week, which is the Social Network, which I did not order. 
So I wrote them and I'm like, Hey, you got me the wrong one. And they're like, send a photo. So I sent a photo and they're like, okay, cool. We're sending you the right one. I was like, cool. And then, uh, <laughs> it hasn't showed up yet. It's been over a week, almost two weeks now. And then they sent me a, like a label, a return label. And they're like, Hey, you got to send the social network back. And I'm like, okay, but I want the quake one. How do I, and you, you said it was shipped and it's not here. So I feel like we're in this weird standoff. I don't want the social network one, but I want to make sure I get my quake one. But if they're waiting for me, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I should probably just send the social network one in. Cause I guess part of me is thinking once, if the quake one shows up, I'll just keep them both. Even though I don't like the social network movie. The soundtrack was good, I think. I don't know. I've never listened to it again. I dislike that movie so much. I haven't really, I don't care about it, but I want my Quake soundtrack. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, the Boys Next Door, Nick Cave and Roland S. Howard's band before the birthday party had a record store day release, re release of their one album, Door Door. And I got that. It's on red vinyl. It's great. Uh, it is fantastic. That record is better than I remembered it, actually. So, you know, the hit is on it. Shivers, of course. Roland is Howard's greatest composition. I've been contemplating suicide. Uh, we used to cover that in Rockets vs. the Street Lamps, actually, but we all wanted to sing it. So. <laughs> so it was very contentious. Uh, and then I got this Alzheimer's EP, or LP, 2LP, actually, uh, called The Longest Day. It's a benefit for Alzheimer's. It's great. It's got, I got it because it's got New Order on it, uh, unreleased mix, and uh, Shadow Party which is a band featuring Phil Cunningham for New Order, but also my old friend Josh Hagar from The Elevator Drops and Devo. And, uh, you know, the song on there by The Shadow Party is a song called Marigold. It was originally a Josh Hagar solo song, and uh, it's great. It's one of my favorite songs. I love it. It's a beautiful song, and this is it's a new Shadow Party version of it. It's really awesome. But more to the point, everything else on this record is just fantastic, and the whole thing is really rare you get a comp that all flows together so well and fits the same mood. It's a very moody Brooklyn rock, but it's awesome. It's got Anna Calvi on it, Daniel Avery, TRST, Beach Slang, Sad 13, Algiers, uh, Moby, but it's a really good song, Reese Chatham. Uh, just great. It's a great compilation. It's expensive. It's 50 bucks for double vinyl, but it is a very, very good pressing and it is a benefit for Alzheimer's. So I strongly recommend it. The last day if you're a vinyl person and if you're looking for something moody that all flows together really well. Uh, Vinyl Me Please, the monthly record of the club, month club. The record this month was Outcast's album, Stankonia. So I, I kept that. I got that. Uh, listen to it. It's great. Actually, a lot better than I remember it. Um, <laughs> I don't have a lot of memories of that album other than I saw the tour. That was the Area One tour out in LA with Moby and New Order, and uh, Billy Corgan was there for some reason. Did the pumpkins play or is he just there for that new order song? I can't remember, but, uh, I was, I was on a lot of drugs. Uh, Jill and I took a bunch of E to go to that and it was awesome. And, uh, anyway, they, I all I remember is outcast, like played out of this giant, like mouth with a tongue, which flaming lips did later in my life. Weirdly seen two bands play out of lips, mouths with tongues, but, uh, it was great. And Miss Jackson and all that, you know, it was before the shake it with the Polaroid picture and all that stuff. But, uh, the album was really great. I've forgotten all about it. New Flaming Lips album, American Head. Uh, I mentioned it last week, but I I finally listened to it, and I, I like it. Uh, it's definitely very, like, sort of mellow 60s, like bread or something, Psy- like a psychedelic bread. <laughs> uh, and then my friends Tom and Christine, I think I mentioned this one as well, V's and V's Electrique. I had listened to the album because it was on Bandcamp, but uh, they sent me a vinyl copy. It's really good. Uh, it's very kraut rock, very can, uh, canned heat, like the droney stuff. And, uh, I really liked it. Electro, a little poople the in there. Great guitar work. I assume that must be Tom. I haven't read the liner notes yet, but, uh, very good record. Uh, it's, it's at rough trade, rough trade gave it, gave it a great review. Uh, I got the pink vinyl version. So that was really satisfying. Uh, and then Tom, uh, who's married to my friend, Christine, his last name is Der- Thomas Derwent. He has this label label called lost treasures of the underworld. And, uh, he sent me this album on this by a guy named Curtis Chaos. It's just like really awesome, sort of bluesy, but also meets Krautrock guitar. A little psychedelic, a little droney, but mellow. Hard to explain. It was kind of like if you took like a <laughs> like a Robert Johnson record and covered it by by uh, Faust or something like that. <laughs> it's really good. I'm really into it. Uh, the new Mary Lattimore album, Silver Ladders. Mary Lattimore is a harpist. She's really great. Uh, she's from the North Carolina area, so I've had many opportunities to see her playing with different people. I've seen her solo. I've seen her do a show with uh, Mac from Super Chunk. I saw her do another show with the woman from Waxahachie. 
She's awesome. And uh, this new album is produced by Neil Halstead of Slow Dive Mojave 3 fame. And uh, apparently she just sort of did a lot of stuff and he kind of put it together. And it basically sounds like Slow Dive's Pygmalion with harps. And it's super good. And I strongly recommend it. The, the new Tricky I've mentioned before, but I got the vinyl copy just yesterday. Very exciting. And then just today came in is an old uh, reissue of an old album that I love that I had on CD, but I sold and the vinyl had gone through the roof. Uh, it's called Aix and Clem is the name of the band. It's a self-titled record. It was a sort of a super group <laughs> of a guy from LeBradford and a guy from Stars of the Lid. Uh, I don't know if you guys know either. The two bands on Cranky Records, very, very droney. Very drony. They are two of the droniest bands out there, especially Stars of the Lid. The first time I saw Stars of the Lid, they just said, Hi, we're Brian Eno, and then droned for an hour. It was such a fantastic show. Uh, anyway, they did, and I love this record, Aches and Clem. I've owned it on CD forever, but I sold it, so I've probably talked to you guys about it. But uh, when I sold it, I, you know, I clicked, I want this on vinyl, but it was like one pressing on cranky 20 years ago. And it was, I think they're like a hundred dollars at the time on discogs, but it's been reissued. So that's exciting. It's affordable now. So I just got that in the mail yesterday. I haven't re-listened to it yet, but I will very soon. So that's about it for the vinyl for the last two weeks. Uh, moving on to the albums I've listened to, I would like to issue a correction on Sheila Divine. I talked to Aaron two, four weeks ago now, right after I told you all about the Sheila Divine stuff. And to clarify, there was the 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 bedroom tapes, volumes one, two, etc., are new songs every day. A new song. He just did fifty songs in fifty days. They're all on Bandcamp. It's it's awesome. So I I was wrong about what I was saying before. They were not archive stuff. They were not like, you know, he wasn't going through the archives. I, I was probably projecting, right? Because I've been going through the archives trying to find all my old music. But he's been writing new songs every day. He just finished the first 50 days. He says he's going to do 50 more, but he's not going to be putting them out once a day. He'll probably put them in batches and stuff like that going forward. But yeah, they're great, man. I haven't listened to all 50. I've probably listened to about 25 or 30 of them. But I will I will get through all of them eventually. But uh, I just wanted to clarify what was going on with Aaron Perino and Sheila Devine up there on Bandcamp. Uh, let's see. So idols finally listened to the whole album ultra mono. I've been pretty obsessed with this album the last two weeks. It's like a little cheesy, uh, but it's very good and very punk and it sounds awesome. And then I saw they did a KEXP concert and I saw what they looked like. I'd never seen them live or seen them in person. And they're basically like the modern incarnation of grinder man. <laughs> like they've got weird mustaches and tattoos and they move around weird. And it kind of reminds me of the birthday party in a way. And like, I, I don't know. It's like sometimes when I'm objectively listening to it, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. But like, I find myself listening to it constantly. And like I went through and I started like six tracks from it. So new idols album, ultra mono, uh, I listened to the new fleet foxes. Sure. I've given it two listens now and I'm just like, yeah, it sounds like the last fleet foxes. It's good. It's pretty. I started a couple tracks, but nothing really show stopping for me in there. Uh, Buscabella. I don't remember who like sent this to me, but it was sort of like the album's called regressa and it was sort of like fun world music clubby. Oh, evilly sent it to me. My friend evilly. that's right in Boston. And it's like this duo this like sort of Latin influenced duo, but they live in Brooklyn and it's like a man and a woman and their photo on Discogs is so awesome. Cause they're both wearing one of these like cool, like Latino Latinx white outfits, all white. And, uh, it's a really good album. It was a good time. It's super fun. And then, uh, she also sent me this other one called P point R point. To be uh, the album is De Revs, it's all in French, it's like chill French pop, sophista pop in French, and I really enjoyed that as well. Uh, then I've been listening to this a lot today, actually. Sevdaliza, she's like an Iranian Dutch woman who does this spooky, mellow sort of club music. The album is called Shabrang. Don't remember who gave this to me, but it was really, really good. And uh, I, I, I got, I swear to god, I started like half that album. Uh, it was really good. And then somebody put, sent me a list. This might've been Paul, a list of like the 50 best, uh, shoegaze albums of the nineties. And, or maybe it was just best out. No, I think it was, I think it was best albums. I don't remember some list of nineties albums. And I owned 45 of the 50 of them. And I was like, well, I guess I better listen to the rest of these, which, which, you know, I mean, the ones I hadn't listened to in full were the Chills, Blake Babies, Robert Forster, Prefab Sprout, and Blue Aeroplanes, which is really ironic because the Blake Babies are from Boston. I've seen them live a million times, but I had never really listened to the whole album. I've seen Blue Aeroplanes live, but I never listened to that whole album. So I was like, all right, you know, I've actually heard a lot. I never actually heard of Robert Forster. Um, but the rest of them, I was like, I know I should like know these bands, but I don't really know them. So I, I wouldn't listen to them all. I've only given them one listen. I am going back right now. I have 18 hours left, eh, about 16 now, of music that I've listened to once that I'm giving listening to 
you know, I plow through the list and then I listen to them over and over and star the tracks and give them their due. So I've listened to all of these once, uh, but I haven't really gone through them again. I'm about to, it'll be tomorrow, but the chills album, submarine bells. I started one song on it. It was fine. Uh, the Blake Bay's album was awesome. And people were right. They almost called sunburn. I started three songs off of it right off the bat. And I'm excited to listen to it again. Uh, the Robert Forster album, I, I, danger in the past. I wasn't really into, uh, I'll give it another chance, but it was okay. The prefab spout, P- <laughs> prefab sprout album i recognize why people thought was amazing and i bet if i like listened to it back then it would have blown my mind the last song really rocked and that's the only one i starred but i get why it's an interesting record no that was never mind uh i, I mixed it up with blue airplanes everything i'm saying is true about prefab sprout except for the last song part um anyway i really liked it i got it i get why he's really intelligent but it didn't quite click and i think like it's just maybe it was of its time a little bit but I'm going to give it another shot. Uh, same with the Blue Airplanes. That last song on Swagger, that one, the last song was awesome. That was the one that really struck with me. And I was like, this is the best song. But I will listen to it again. Uh, then uh, this album, Real Lies, Real Life is the name of the album by a band called Real Lies. It was a really weird, cool dance. It reminded me of this band, Prinzhorn Dance School, that was on DFA, sort of sparsely ambient dance music, kind of moody. I like that a lot. Women is the name of the band. Public Strain. It was atonal and strange. I think it might be on uh, Sacred Bones. I don't know where that one came from, but uh, I did like it, but I haven't. I need to listen to it some more. Let's Eat Grandma. I'm All Ears. Uh, my friend Nikki had sent me one song from this. I was like, this is awesome. And this is not what I thought they sounded like. And I realized I had been for years now mixing up Let's Eat Grandma with Be Your Own Pet. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I guess thematically those names seem the same to me. And I thought Let's Eat Grandma was like a weird, noisy psych rock band, but they're not. They're like synthy and fun and really cool. And I really like that record. And I was really into it. Uh, then Widow's Peak. The album was called Plum, Mellow Lady Rock. And I really like that a lot. And then my friends Freeze Pop put out a new album, Fantasizer. I have been listening to it a ton. I really love it. I also really love it really loud, by the way, uh, in headphones. It's really exciting. One thing I did with the new computer setup is I made it so my headphones more more easily to switch to immediately. And I've been listening to a lot of music really loud in my headphones, so I don't bother my, my wife. Uh, so I did that with the Fantasizer album, and it is so good. It, it just I love it. I don't know if you guys are Freeze Pop fans or Synth Pop fans, but if you are, check out the new Freeze Pop. My, uh, you know, some of my best friends, my my best man, our maid of honor. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a band of good friends. They are officially released that on our old record label, Arch Enemy, too. So that's exciting. Arch Enemy Records still lives. Had a new release. Had two because I put out the, well, I guess that was last year, but I put out the Defective Frequency album on Arch Enemy, too. So it still exists every once in a while. Puts an album out. Pretty exciting. Lou Reed, uh, they reissued New York in a deluxe form with a extra disc of bonus stuff and it's remastered. So I re-listened to New York, which is probably my favorite Lou Reed album. I love New York. Uh, and I especially love Last Great American Whale. It's like one of my favorite songs. And so I was very excited because this had both a demo and a live version, but they're, the demo and the live version were a little underwhelming. Unfortunately, the, the bonus disc of stuff, like <laughs> Pitchfork in their review was very diplomatic. They're like, and the bonus disc makes you realize that perhaps these songs were in their best form in their final form. <laughs> it's like you know, damning praise, right? And it's true. Like, you're like, yeah, these are good demos, but like the demo of Last Great American Whale is them figuring out the little guitar part that goes, and like, Lou Reed's like directing the guitarist and you're like, yeah, those aren't good. Those aren't good. And then he gets it right. And Lou Reed's like getting kind of annoyed. He's not doing it right. But as soon as he gets it right, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Lou was right. That is the way to go. <laughs> so it's interesting, but, uh, you know, just it's worth it for the remaster New York. I'm not going to buy it or anything, but it is solid. H-V-O-B. Uh, the album was called Rocco, and it's like, uh, it kind of reminded me of London Grammar, very sparse, beautiful, ambient, little synthy woman singer. Very good. Very, very good. I was into HVOP. New Deftones. I always listen to the Deftones, and I never really care one or another, one way or the other. The album was called Ohms. Uh, I liked it, but I didn't start anything on a first pass, but I haven't given it the second pass yet. That'll be this week. So we will find out. Uh, then Gareth sent me a new album by a band, self-titled album called Working Men's Club, and it's awesome. He was totally right. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, very synthy, a little like uh, Factory Records inspired, a little like uh, punk inspired. A little, it's just it's got everything. It's really good. 
and I strongly recommend it. And it's even got a song on there named after John Cooper Clark. If you want a very explicit sort of connection to the Manchester world. Uh, yeah, it's good. Working men's club. The new Andy Bell. This is Andy Bell, formerly of Ride and Oasis, and not Andy Bell, formerly of Erasure. Uh, the album is called View from Halfway Down, and it is it's good. It's like a weird dream pop mellow kind of thing. It's clever. It's well layered. It's textured. It's definitely shoegaze. Um, has a little. Andy Bell had a band after Ride called Hurricane Number One, and you can hear a little bit of Hurricane Number One in it. Uh, I've only given it one listen so far. Uh, I ordered the vinyl, but it hasn't arrived, which is really annoying all my friends are like posting photos of having the album you know, i'm like i don't have the album yet but uh, i've been listening to it on spotify and i like it but i need to give it another listen pass through for the stars uh sam precop formerly of the sea and cake has a new album he's been putting out these albums of sort of like learning modular synths and i understand where he's coming from because I don't understand modular synths. I like my synthesizers to have keys and knobs and no no uh, ports where I plug different things in. But I get, you know, I have this like learning curve fear that I'm like, oh God, if I get into modular synths and I got to learn to do all this stuff and, and you got to make these albums just to learn how to do it. And so two people that I, songwriters that I really respect have been doing this <laughs> across the last few years. Lloyd Cole, formerly of Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, is clearly learning how to use modular synths and has been putting out a series of synth albums. I've mentioned them in the past. And so is Sam Precop. So he's got his third one that's called Comma. And he's getting a lot better with those modular synths. And uh, he's also like, this one's got a, little, a lot more pop structures to it. So it's a little bit more interesting of a record. Uh, that's it for the records. Uh, there's some singles. There's a new Stevie Nicks single. <laughs> Strongly recommend it. It's a little political. She's like a... I'm kind of into it. It's it's good. Uh, Drive by Truckers had a new single. It's fine. Kevin Morby keeps putting out singles. Uh, we'll probably I'll, we'll talk about that when the whole album comes out. Uh, but I like them. But I none of none of them has been the perfect one yet. But I have faith. Uh, Nikki just sent me an, a, a new single called Spa by Icona Pop this morning that I really enjoyed. It's like a weird clubby song. Strong recommend. And Hamilton Lighthouser from The Walkman had a new single this week. Isabella. It was called. People love it. I didn't like it as much, but I have only given it like two or three listens. So we will pick those up when the albums come out. Whew. Well, uh, you know, ironically, we're at 56 minutes and uh, I, I did finally watch some TV this week and I read some books. So I'm really torn. I'm going to pause for a moment and decide whether I want to go long this time or, or save it. Let's see. Hold, please. All right, we're going for it. Uh, if I was like a live streamer, I could have run a poll right then. I love it when live streamers do little polls and let their viewers decide what they're doing. But uh, I don't have that luxury. So, you know, if you're bored and you're hoping I was going to wrap it up, you can just stop, I guess. That's cool, right? But I'm going to keep going because uh, I want to, you know, I'm kind of proud. I got my act together. I hadn't been reading a lot of books lately. I hadn't been watching, like finishing TV shows. And I've just sort of like got got back in the saddle with both of those. So I wanted to talk to you guys about it. I am still watching a bunch of YouTube videos, uh, you know, like, um, <laughs> watch a lot of Adam Savage videos. There's a whole thing going on there. He's building this like prop replica of Hellboy's gun. And it's like kind of emotional because he's been thinking and he's doing it sort of in honor of his friend, Grant, the uh, co-host of Mythbusters that died. And then like really wrapped up in that. I've been watching like weird, like uh, Chateau restoration things. There's this whole like scene of English people that have bought Chateau in the north of France and have turned them into like hotel event spaces and they all hang out with each other and have YouTube channels that are nominally DIY channels, but really aren't. It's really, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Sometimes I like it. I watched a great sandblasting episode the other day, but you know, sometimes you're just like, mm, no, I don't think so. Uh, and then, you know, like the tiny desk concerts are really good. There's a really good flaming lips, tiny desk concert, KEXP idols on KEXP. Fenna Lily is just on KEXP. I haven't watched that one yet. That's going to be tonight. So a lot of YouTube, but I've also been managing to watch TV again. Great British baking show is very exciting. That's back on Emma and I watched that together. Uh, Saturday night live is back. So I've been watching those. They have, they have their moments in Saturday night live. Uh, I, I, am not, I, I'm a big fan of Jim, Jim Carrey's political tweets, but I don't think he does a good Biden. I, I think they, they, they could have just used a cast member for Biden, but you know, I, you got to give those guys uh, some credit. It's hard to keep up with the insanity. that is our politics. And of course I am watching MSNBC pretty much every weeknight because there's something crazy going on. God, the thing about it, just as I did my last podcast, 
There's the vice presidential debate. Our president got the coronavirus, uh, went to the hospital, got a bunch of steroids, pretended he was uh, well, uh, lied about when he got his last test, went back on the road, started like hanging out with people, getting more people sick. We had a nominee for the Supreme Court that very obviously was the person that got everyone sick, if you want my opinion on this, at Amy's COVID bash, I'm calling it. I didn't make that up, but I think it's so great. Amy's COVID bash. That all happened. Uh, there was the crazy dueling town hall debates last night wherein Trump decided to just admit three of his biggest scandals. He admitted he wasn't tested before the debate. He admitted he wasn't, the audit wasn't what was stopping him from doing his tax, giving his tax returns. He admitted he owed money to foreign people. <laughs> And then for good measure, he just like, uh, you know, supported QAnon and would not confirm the United States government actually killed Osama bin Laden as as all kind of lunatic. So, you know, you want to just sort of be productive and then you're like, well, I got to watch the news tonight because this is too crazy or you end up doom scrolling or something. But despite all of that, I, you know, so I, I guess I was, where was, oh yeah, right. So Saturday Night Live, you know, they're doing a pretty good job keeping up with all that. Their debate one was solid. Their uh, VP debate one was pretty funny. The fly, oh my God, see, who, who can even remember the fly? It's been, so much has happened. So cut them a little slack is my theory on the Saturday Night Live thing. Uh, I finished Raised by Wolves. It was weird. I liked it. I, the people really disliked the ending. I guess I didn't mind the ending. I just, if the ending was a normal episode, I would have been totally fine with it. Also somewhere around two thirds of the way through, I realized raised by wolves is basically the 100, but darker for adults. Uh, the 100 is a teen sci-fi show on the CW that my wife and I were obsessed with. I stuck it out for four or five seasons. Emma watched the rest. But once you get that far into the 100, you realize what they're going to do with the plot. And it turns out Raised by Wolves is doing the same sort of thing. So that made it easier to predict two of the three surprise twists in the uh, finale. But I, I might watch a little bit more when it comes back. I, it definitely kept me kept me engaged, though. Now I'm watching The Boys, uh, which is fine. Um it's good. I'm not loving it as much as last season. I didn't love last season either, but it, it, it's doing the job. It's compelling enough. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I will finish that probably this week. Uh, Emma and I are almost done with the great. Now we watched two more, three more episodes. I thought we had two more left, but we had four more left. So all we have left is the finale. Now I hope we're, we might watch it tonight. That'll be great to finish that. So like, I'm actually watching TV. I, <laughs> it's kind of weird. My 90s and 80s, 90s self would be appalled by me being proud of the fact that I'm watching TV. But, you know, it's better than just laying around, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell. I don't care. I can't. I don't know. I don't know, man. But anyway, I feel some sense of knowing, of accomplishment, knowing what other people out there are talking about with Raised by Wolves and the Boys. Because I was definitely getting a little behind everybody else in the cultural zeitgeist. You know what I mean? Uh, turning to books, I finished The Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton. It was great. It was very eye-opening. It was a fantastic continuation of Keynesian economics into the modern era, answering many questions about all this nonsense about debt and deficits and the government and in very clear layman's terms, and I strongly recommend it, even if you're not an economist, if you just sort of want to understand why politicians like to say we can't afford this and taxes and this and debt and they go on about the debt and the trade deficit and do they matter or not and what we can do to actually fix the world and can we afford it and it was great i i was very pleased with it and uh i'm now pretty much 100 percent converted to mmt although i was already pretty i had already sussed most of this out through my my own research and economic thinking through the years, but it's nice to see it in, spelled out in a coherent theory. Now, to my recollection, about a year ago, a little bit before this book came out, Stephanie Kelton and um, Paul Krugman got in an argument about MMT in letters in, I think, The Times. So I got to go track all those down now and read all those. So I will keep you apprised about that. But uh, if you're a, if you're a Keynesian or econ person or a politics person, especially if you're a politics person and you're feeling a little weak on the economic side, it's a great book. I strongly recommend it. Then for a palate cleanser, I read Sid Meier's Memoir, A Life in Computer Games by Sid Meier, the creator of Civilization, my favorite video game, and it was just so nice to read it. He's just a nice, nerdy guy that makes video games, and uh, it's funny, he's been doing it for so long, and like he had made all these games that I didn't know he made that I played back in the day, like F-15 and F-19 Flight Simulators, he made those, he made, you know, the Pirates game, I think I knew, I mean, that was Sid Meier's Pirates, so I knew that. 
But uh, like games that I played when I was a kid that I didn't realize he made before they started putting his name on the box. So that was really cool. My one gripe with that book is it was really light on Sid Meier's Six Civ Six because he doesn't actually make Sigma Sid. He doesn't actually make civilization anymore. He, you know, he runs a company, but he said he had this whole philosophy that every civilization should have a different lead designer on. This guy, Ed Beach, is the designer now, and he's great, but uh, I wanted sort of Sid's insights on it. But Sid's insights into early civilization was great and the evolution of the game and Alpha Centauri. Uh, it's a quick read. That was another bonus to it. So that was really exciting. I'm really into short books right now, uh, which means now I'm reading my friend Tim Wang's book, which is called The Subprime Attention Crisis. It is very much in my wheelhouse. Tim and I talk all the time about this stuff. It is about advertising economics. It is different from my book, but it is in a similar vein, focused on ad tech. And he has a thesis. I'm not far enough along, so I guess we could save this for the next podcast. But he has a thesis that, you know, I don't disagree with a lot of it, but some parts of it, I think I would disagree with a little bit, but, uh, and he's like sort of been saying, I, we should do a debate about it, but I, and we joined a book club about it on our witty or our slack that we're in together. So I don't know. We'll talk about that one next week, but, uh, I am enjoying it so far and I'm about half done with it. So that is pretty exciting. Yeah, I guess I already talked about the projects in the diet, huh? So I, I guess we're we're about done. I I, I made all that uh, big hoo ha of of going way over, but it looks like in the end we're only gonna be about five minutes over. Well, thank you for listening. That's about it for this week. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put this up today, but I'm not going to tell anyone for it till tomorrow. So I guess if you guys subscribe, you'll find out. But if not, it'll just be a surprise. Hope you guys are doing all right. Drop a line. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll talk soon, okay? Take care. <laughs>